It's the tip of the spear in the epic battle to defend the United States of America. The National Security Hour exposes the wolves in sheep's clothing and their nefarious plots to undermine and destroy U.S. national security. Welcome to the National Security Hour on the America Out Loud Talk Radio Network on iHeartRadio, where you will hear the voice of freedom, the out loud truth. I'm your host, Mary Fanning, and my co-host today is the great Colonel Mike. And with us is an American hero. This is a man who had the wherewithal, the bravery that not many other people possess. This man had the, I am telling you, there are not many people who could have done this. He exposed and went after Hillary Clinton. With us tonight is the great Nate Kane, the FBI whistleblower who is also running for office. This is the kind of man that we need fighting for this country. Nate Kane, welcome. We are delighted to have you. Thank you, Mary. Appreciate the, uh, your intro there. And um, I'm very happy to be here with you tonight. Nate, first, before we get into what we, some of the things we want to talk about tonight, could you tell our audience what went through your head when you decided to expose Hillary Clinton and the Uranium One deal where she was selling our uranium uh, to the enemy? Well, the, uh, the night that I came home after making that decision um, was a tough one. The, the day that really kind of sparked my decision was, of course, the day that um, Comey went out in front of the FBI headquarters and gave that uh, press conference where he said that Hillary Clinton had basically done all these criminal activity related to classified information and then went on to say, you know, how she was uh, that no, uh, no, no reasonable prosecutor would bring a case. So at that point, I knew that they were going to cover it up. And I knew that all the rumors that I had heard about them, you know, making the decision to cover things up were true. And um, I went home that lot that night and I was laying in bed next to my wife and she uh, she could tell something was wrong. And she she asked me what's going on. And and I told her, I said, uh, I think I need to blow the whistle on the FBI. And she sat up immediately and looked right at me and said, what? Yeah. Why? Why? Why does it have to be you was what she asked. And. And uh, it's a good question. Because there's a lot of people that probably saw that information. And, uh, you know, and I was just a contractor. But um, she asked the question, why does that have to be you? And my response was, well, who else is going to do it? And, um, and, I, and I told her, I said, what if God put me here for this reason? What if that's the reason I was at the FBI? And um, I didn't want to stand before God someday and have him you know, say to me, Hey, remember that time I put you in the FBI and put you in front of that information and you did nothing about it. So, um, so I ended up, uh, deciding that it was what it was the right thing to do. It's what I'd taken my oath three times, um, first in the army. And then as a Navy civilian and Marine civilian, I had taken that oath to, to support and defend the constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And clearly, we were dealing with some domestic enemies that were selling out our country's national security for profit. Yeah, the traitor class. 
And um, so our audience does probably does not know uh, your history in cyber and your expertise. Can you explain that to them, please? Sure. Um, so I, I got started in cybersecurity before it was even called that. Mm -hmm. um, I was in the United States Army as a uh, telecommunications computer operator maintainer. And what that simply means is I worked on the top secret messaging switch, maintained it, and uh, repaired it. And right after I got out of my school and went to my first duty station, uh, they decommissioned the platform that I was trained on. And so they gave me the option of OJT or going back to school. And uh, so I, re I basically went through on-the-job training and, uh, and trained in as a uh, network engineer. And, uh, and then uh, back then they called it information assurance. There was an opportunity for me to learn uh, you know, how to basically do encryption and things like that and work on some some systems that would allow for encrypted communications. And I, I volunteered for it and it ended up kind of starting me on my career in cybersecurity. So for 26 years, I've been doing cyber and I've worked in pretty much every facet of it. And uh, it has been a, a very interesting career that has taken me all over the world, uh, has given me exposure and um and opportunities that, you know, have helped me to be able to, you know, provide for my family. And I've been grateful for that. Um, but in the last, uh, I was, I basically had been working for uh, Pearl Harbor Navy Shipyard. And, um, and I got an opportunity to go to work for, uh, as a Marine civilian, I was a Navy civilian at that time. And I uh, went to work for Marforce Cyber, uh, Marine Forces Cyber Command. And while I was there, I got trained at uh, FANUX which is the, um, the friendship annex for, um, NSA. And I got trained in how to, you know, do very uh, deep level hacking and, uh, the per point and purpose of that, um, that mission there was, I was part of what they call national mission cyber protection team. And so we were going after, uh, hackers that were infiltrating and, and exfiltrating data out of our, um, out of our, uh, national critical infrastructure mm. and I was was called a a, a DCI hunt black team um, it was an exciting job and uh, once I finished through all my training I really only had the opportunity to do one mission um, I had put that information up on my um, my resume and I immediately got a call from a company that had a contract with the FBI so I ended up uh, going to work for the FBI they hired me to uh, implement architect their vulnerability management system, uh, which they were, you know, deploying. And I had some enterprise experience with that deploying it worldwide. And uh, so it was a, it was a great career move, great opportunity for me. Uh, unfortunately it didn't end well. Um, you know, as I mentioned, I blew the whistle and then after doing that, I didn't feel comfortable staying there. And so, <laughs> no so kidding. I, so I left and, and went to work for Were the you VA. Afraid getting lunch in the lunchroom or anything? Uh, it was more that when you, <laughs> it was more that when you work for the when you work for the FBI, um, or, or really NSA or any of these you know places where you have to do a polygraph, um, you sign a whole lot of disclosures or non-disclosures, and you you sign some things that allow them. Uh, basically, you're giving up some of your rights, and so it allows for you to be, um, you know surveilled and and they can come you know basically search your home and things like that and they don't necessarily need you know the standard warrants to do that so uh, i didn't want to subject myself to that after blowing the whistle i went through painstaking uh 
you know, procedures to basically protect my identity. And I knew eventually they would find out who I was, but, um, but I, I did things properly. I did it in accordance with the law. So who and you I, were as the whistleblower is what you're referencing. That, that's correct. I, yeah, I wanted to make sure that I, I did not have, um, uh, they did not have any easy means of being able to identify me because, uh, as you mentioned earlier, I blew the whistle on Hillary Clinton and her cronies on the top leadership of the FBI and for their cover-up, you know, basically yeah. obstruction of justice obstruction and Russian of justice. intelligence agents. Wait, wait, this is not obstruction of justice. You're giving 20% of our uranium to our adversaries. And correct me if I'm wrong, and Robert Mueller is is delivering it, a sample. Yeah, yeah there, there's, uh, there's all kinds of really interesting things. Uh, it's so, interesting that all the players that were involved later were players, uh, you know, all the people who were involved in Uranium One later ended up becoming involved in the, the setup of Donald Trump. So, okay. So, so our audience understands, you need to understand we are an August company. These are heroes. These are the men who have the wherewithal there. I am assuming that you don't wear red high heels and and dresses. Never mind. (laughs) So so this is Colonel Mike, you know, Colonel Mike, you, people don't understand these men who have, these are the men that, you know, we have been praying to lead our country. Uh, Colonel Mike, please join us because. Okay. I uh, wanted to jump in. Thank you, Mary. Nate, I, you know, I was just going to bring this up because you were talking about clearances and, you know, going to various agencies and going in as a civilian and, you know, coming out of the military. The question I had, you know, that I want to bring forth to the audience was just give them a little bit of idea of what you went through on the poly back then. I mean, would you be able to pass what they have out there working for our country today in skirts, high heels, lipstick, you know, LBGTQA, whatever, would they, in those days, could you have passed the polygraph test with just one thing saying either drugs or homosexuals? Could you have passed? Never. No way. No, not at all. Uh, They're, they're looking for, uh, you know, mental health instability. Uh, They're looking for, you know, anything that, you know, you could be compromised in. Uh, They're looking for things that you could be blackmailed in. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't think anybody would have passed. Nobody would have in that that kind of um, situation would have passed uh, the polygraph, let alone, you know, a single scope background investigation uh, mm-hmm. during that era. You know, now what we have going on in the military is, is uh, disgraceful. And, even in uh, the agencies, just to, yeah. Yeah, even in the cabinet level agencies and the agencies throughout the government, you know, just about, I guess it was seven, eight years ago, I was reading in, in, a, in a newspaper, print newspaper, that they decided they couldn't get enough people to work civilian at DOD and at the Pentagon. So they said, you know, we'll accept one or two felonies. I'm like, what? One or two yeah. felonies? You know, <laughs> it was like when DC opened the books and they said, we need police officers. So it's OK. Marijuana, heroin, whatever, you know, uh, homicide. You know, we'll look the other way for a couple of these things. I'm like, wait a minute. You're telling me that these people could be cops now, you know? Yeah. And, and in fact, just- law, law enforcement was even more strict than the military because of the fact that they're dealing with the law. And so you can't have people violating the law that are are, mm-hmm. are going to be there. But you're right. They, they made all kinds of exceptions. We've got all kinds of of uh, interesting characters uh, that are being led into these agencies. And these people well, are being put in charge of some of the most powerful surveillance tools in the world. 
Have yes. you ever seen admirals wearing dresses before? That never no. existed in my, no. my time. No. no, or stealing other women's clothing at the airports because they, they knew that they made designer gowns. So some guys. Okay. So well, I so remember, the, Mary, I remember reading that. And I think the, the reason they were lowering the bar, as we say, you know, with people going to DOD and, and other agencies was there wasn't enough minorities and the minorities who applied oh, wow. had criminal records. Whatever happened uh, to merit? And let me just yeah. interject here. At Johns Hopkins, they had all the foremost reports. People who thought that they were a man or a woman and needed to be uh, uh, transitioned were considered mentally ill. And the data showed that those people were the highest group of suicide. Yes. And so now we're normalizing this. This is truly what it looks like in a communist revolution. Inside out, upside down. This is insanity. I think well, when, here, we go to the, when we go to the second segment, we should deep dive a little bit to let the people know, because, you know, Mary, you do great investigative reporting and you have many articles for years on the American So between you and Nate, I think if you just peel the onion a little bit on Uranium One, people want to know, I guess, if they don't know, they want to know what is Uranium One? Because what Nate is going to reveal and you're going to reveal is going to be so important that people would say, what? They did that. And I yeah, think this is the anniversary. Is this the anniversary this month of, yeah. of uh, Mueller with the cover up for Hillary? Isn't this the anniversary or last month? And, and Nate, let me ask you something. So what made them think that coming out and announcing that Hillary did all this and that no one in, um, would would charge you with this it, under the law? Intent doesn't matter. And That's so, right. The law that was broken there is, is what's called the Espionage Act. Interestingly enough, how ironic uh, that they're going after Trump, you know, for, uh, you know, for having some classified documents, supposedly, uh, even though as president, he had the right to actually declassify anything that he wanted to uh, by his just verbal command. Um, but, you know, Hillary Clinton, of course, never had that right to do anything. And one of the things that was significant about the information that uh, uh, that Comey revealed in that press conference was that she had seven email chains with special access programs. And what people don't understand who aren't familiar with the, the classified world is that a special access program is, is not merely a secret document. It's not merely a top secret document. It is a document that is, is compartmentalized, meaning that you can to, in order to even review it, you have to go into a closed room inside of a skiff so that somebody else with a top secret clearance doesn't accidentally walk by and see it. You have to be read on to that program. I've been read on to some of these programs. There are things that I know about that I can never talk about probably in my entire life because well, this was of the, above the top secret. This was, this was the first time anyone ever heard of SAP above top secret. That's right. And, and those, it was also, and there, it was going to our adversaries. There were emails that were on her server the FBI determined and said so, uh, Director uh, um, Comey even said so in that that uh, press conference, that her computers were likely compromised. So the question has always been by those in the know, was her email server nothing more than a Dropbox for the enemy? Yeah. How did Lafarge so, play into that? No, Nobody ever, nobody ever question nobody ever asked the media never asked how did 
a special access program above top secret file, you know, there were seven of them, mind you, that ended up on email chains on her server. How did they end up there? Who took them out of the skiff? Who brought them there? Who put them on that server? I mean, that is all criminal activity that requires a lot of hoop, you know, jumping through hoops in order to make that happen. And uh, I would say that even though intent is not required to prosecute, the fact is, is there was clearly intent to take those files off. You can't accidentally, oops, I, you know, I sent it down to the unclassified side. It doesn't work that way. Well, after we come back from this uh, word from our sponsors who, who support the absolute truth and are bringing it to the American people, we'll come back and talk about this. But I'd like to hear what was Robert Mueller and the three amigos, the three amigos, so our audience knows, are Robert Mueller, James Comey, and our present FBI director, Christopher Ray. So after these words, words from our sponsors, we will be back. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-term effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. Fortunately, Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the wellness company designed their spike support formula with the miracle enzyme natokinase, scientifically studied to dissolve spike protein so you can feel your very best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Whether you're an independent, a Democrat, or a Republican, one thing remains true. Airborne viruses love us equally. You've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the advanced nasal solution, Cofix Rx. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. Spray goodbye to colds and flus with a Cofix Rx nasal solution cleanse. That's cofixrx.com. Save 20% by using promo code out loud at cofixrx.com. Welcome back to the National Security Hour on the America Out Loud Talk Radio Network, where you will hear the out loud truth, the voice of freedom. With me is my co-host, Colonel Mike, another great American. And our guest today is Nate Kane, an amazing, brave hero who had the wherewithal to take down Hillary Clinton. The only thing is he didn't have the backup of others that were willing to do the right thing. Uh, welcome back. Colonel Mike, don't you find this interesting with what yes, Nate Yes, I, I do. I do, Mary. And I want Nate to expand on when he did the whistleblowing, who was he speaking to? Was it, was it members of Congress? Was it a committee? What was the reaction? And just give us a little bit of background, if you can, Nate, on that. Sure. So I initially made my first, I made two disclosures. So the first disclosure that I made was directly to a senior staff member, to Devin Nunez. Um, I had reached out uh, through a, a, a secondary and uh, to, to get a hold of somebody there. And the main reason why was because everyone in my chain of command was involved. Uh, I could not go through the DOJ because uh, as you'll remember, Jeff Sessions had recused himself of all things Hillary Clinton. And mm. this, you know, had Hillary Clinton all over it, which meant that it would have been reviewed by the deputy attorney general, which was Rod Rosenstein. Well, Rod Rosenstein was involved. He was the U.S. attorney in Maryland who was basically um, 
had uh, prosecuted the case, uh, you know, for for Tenex uh, with Mikarin and with all of the Russian uh, agents that were basically, you know, paying a kickback scheme uh, in order to get access to transportation of uranium uh, yellow cake. Um, and uh, that was uh, the company that was basically involved in that was Rosatom. Um, which is the Russian energy company that was involved in buying uh, Uranium One later. Mm-hmm. That case was basically, it just sat there for years, for almost a decade, nothing was done. And, um, and the, the, like I said, the U.S. attorney involved in that was Rod Rosenstein. So I didn't trust him, and uh, I thought he was dirty. Uh, I could not go to the intelligence community, IG, who is typically, as a contractor, uh, contractors are not afforded protection under the Whistleblower Protection Act, uh, but if you are with the intelligence community, which the FBI is a part of, uh, you do have protection under the Intelligence Community Whistleblower Protection Act. It's not as robust as the WPA, but it, it does exist. Um, <clears throat> the problem there was that it would have meant that I would have had to have taken that and gone to uh, Michael Atkinson. And Michael Atkinson was the, he was the basically the division head for the public corruption unit at the FBI during the time of all of that. In fact, his name was on several of the documents. So he was involved and he was the, he was the inspector general of the intelligence community at the time that I blew the whistle. Then you had, of course, Comey. Comey was the deputy director of the FBI during the uranium one deal. And of course, uh, Mueller was the, director of the FBI during the Uranium One deal. So essentially my entire chain of command was corrupted and was involved in this and, and was involved in covering it up. And so, so I ended up um, wait, deciding- wait a second, But this is not just corrupt. These people are working, serving the enemy. That's right. This is, this is not just, this is, this is very serious business. And let me just, there was a parallel investigation that we exposed that our work intersects and what we've done at the American Report and at the Center for Security Policy, The Perfect Storm, is one of our occasional papers. And in short, what we exposed was that they had turned over our ports, the cargo container operations, to Saddam Hussein's, uh, well, to Gulf Tainer, whose brother and business partner was Saddam Hussein's nuclear mastermind who via our Pentagon was wanted for capture or kill. He was on, he was on the blacklist. And at the same time that they handed over our cargo container um, operations at Port Canaveral, uh, both deals bypassed a CFIUS review, a national security threat analysis committee on foreign investments at the Committee on Foreign Investments, the gatekeeper was a man named Ayman Nabi Mir. His father was one of the founders of ISNA, found as a terrorist organization in the Holy Land Foundation trials. But importantly, the people who came in and that they handed the ports to, they were in business with Russia's Rostec Rosaborn export that had exports to Club K. The Club K is a Trojan horse weapon system mm-hmm that launches nuclear, biological, chemical weapons. Importantly, if they're using our uranium to build that nuclear weapon, then it has our own nuclear signature on it when it hits us. How does that work out, Nate? 
Very badly. In fact, um, it's interesting because, you know, the CFIUS committee being bypassed in that case is exactly what happened with uh, Bill Clinton um, when the Chinese developed or, or got the technology uh, in order to create uh, intercontinental ballistic missiles. If you'll remember, uh, originally the request uh, was that uh, a satellite rocket company uh, wanted to sell rocket technology to China uh, to so that China could put satellites in space. Uh, it went before yeah. the 50th committee, um, which for those that don't know what that is, the 50th committee is the committee on foreign investment in the U.S. And it is a committee that has to approve um, the sale of any company uh, or the investment of any company that is involved in anything related to U.S. national security. But in this case, um, the CFIUS committee said no. So Bill Clinton made the you know, command decision to move the requirement for that, uh, you know, that bid, if you will, uh, to go to some sort of you know, business development committee or whatever. And so, of course, it got approved. And then the our missiles got developed or got delivered to China, our missile technology. And lo and behold, shortly thereafter, we found out that uh, our nuclear weapons uh, technology had been stolen out of the Sandia labs. And you now had uh, the Chinese in possession of nuclear weapons technology and the means to deliver those nukes to the United States through intercontinental ballistic missiles, which are missiles that have to go out into outer space uh, and then come back down. Uh, those types of weapons are, are the, why that's significant is it's very difficult, if not impossible, to essentially shoot them down. So yeah. this, was, this was the kind of you know, thing that, that Bill Clinton did back in his time. And so it's no surprise that uh, Hillary Clinton, of course, uh, you know, was involved in this uh, transfer of technology or transfer of our uranium supply chain, essentially 20, 20 percent of it to the Russians. Originally, the, the of course, they were supposed to only move. Uh, there was Rosatom was, you know, the promise was made. Oh, Rosatom's not going to they're not going to have, you know, uh, the, the uranium is not going to leave Canada. It's just going to go to Canada for processing. Turns out that was all lies. Uh, all the uranium went to Russia. And now, uh, as I found out in an interview that I, I recently did with uh, John Solomon, uh, he informed me that it's worse than even what we thought. We would have to buy that uranium back from Russia to be able to get it. So... It, it's completely, you know, so let me, let me just unwind this, Mary and, and Nate. So in other words, we were we were dealing with Russia up front or this was sideways. So Russia was buying uranium from us or this was an undercover deal through a third party Canada. How did this operate? Yeah, so they they basically the, the, this company, um, Uranium One, was a Canadian uh, mining company. And uh, they ended up basically they were processing uranium and they were they had a contract with the United States to process 20 percent of our uranium supply chain. So Rosatom, a Russian energy company, wanted to purchase uranium one. But of course, you know, the U.S. has to go through approval on that. And they should have said not no, but hell no. But instead, they said, sure, 
we'll allow for this to happen. And then the uranium ended up getting delivered to Russia. I see. Okay, that's so, clear. That's clear. So, so one important piece of this is that the, the Club K, the cargo container that's a Trojan horse weapon system uh, that launches uh, caliber missiles that can be tipped with nuclear, biological, chemical, uh, an EMP or a standard payload. Um, what's important about that beyond the fact that they were on the blacklist, beyond the fact that uh, they bypassed um, a critical uh, infrastructure review, uh, beyond the fact that the, Obama and Biden were setting the table to hand our ports off to our enemies, is also that they work with North Korea, who has the KMS-3 and the KMS-4 satellites circling. And those are the satellites that open the Trojan Horse Club K cargo container system that can launch. That, that, so now they own our, our, um, the ports, the cargo container operations. So they're the ones checking what comes into our ports, Gulf Tainer, on the, on, the, on the blacklist, wanted for capture or kill. And beyond that, uh, as they're bringing in these Club Ks, and they, the Jafars we found were part of the recipient of the Uranium One deal. Mm -hmm. They are initially, I, I'm not sure if you knew this, Nate, but the Jafars out of uh, Iraq were the one-time ruling family of Iran from 1785 uh, to 1925, the J Jafar uh, Qajar dynasty. So, so that name sounds uh, very familiar. And yeah. there are certain things in the documents that I turned over that I can't get into. Mm -hmm. But what I turned over was more than just Uranium One. It was a network of money laundering that was going on involving multiple countries and people in power in some of these countries, countries that we're not allowed to take money from. And it was making its way through shell corporations and into shell charities and then eventually to Canadian charities and then into the Clinton Foundation. This was a massive money laundering operation. In fact, it sounds awfully familiar to what we're hearing is now being described by um, Representative Comer in relationship to the Biden money laundering operation. And in fact, uh, it involved money laundering, securities and exchange fraud, uh, public corruption and terrorism financing because there was money going out from the the uh, uh, Clinton Foundation through shell bank accounts and eventually into the bank account of a man by uh, the name of uh, Gahid al-Haddad, uh, the head spokesman for the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt, who ultimately, <laughs> you know, led the, uh, you know, the effort on the, the, the Arab Spring, which, of course, brought chaos and mass murder of Christians all throughout the Middle East mm -hmm. and uh, North Africa. So, Which, of course, what the, was the point. But also our yeah. audience needs to understand that who checks these cargo containers as they come into our country? Who was inspecting them before they came in? Because only one-tenth of one percent are hand-checked. Well, that would be the Chinese in Hutchison, Wampoa. <laughs> That's who, right. Who, by the way, are in business with the Jafars. Which, which interestingly enough, you know, if, if people will remember, one of the things when Trump came into office, he had several things that had happened under the Biden administration, sorry, under the Obama administration that had to be corrected. One of those things was 
you had the port of LA, one of the largest ports, of course, was under contract by Chinese communists. And so, you know, that was one of the things that, that he. Long Beach. That's right. Long Beach Harbor. Yep. And then of course you had, uh, let's not forget, um, we gave over control of Panama, you know, the mm-hmm. Panama Canal. Uh, Good old Jimmy who, Carter. It's right. Another who, yeah. Who ended up getting those contracts? Uh, the Chinese. Chinese. Uh, we gave over, of course, uh, under the Biden administration, we gave up, um, you know, the Afghanistan, Afghanistan, which we had spent over a hundred. I, I want to say it was a hundred, hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, basically yeah. surveying Afghanistan for rare earth minerals. We pull out who takes over that China, uh, of course. They take the lithium. Yep. That's right. And they That's take right. Bagram Air Base. Oh, and, right. and by the way, our audience should understand who is the one directing that. Well, that would be Tony Blinken. Oh, and who's Tony Blinken? Well, his father, Donald Blinken, founder of a very big bank. Well, he was the financier of the Open Society Foundation. He gave That's one right. billion dollars to the Open Society Foundation, you know, of George Soros. But our audience need to understand a very important piece. So you bring this stuff inside the wire. You bring it into our ports. You bring it with a missile launching system, the Club K. It's got Uranium One with our own signature on it. Well, guess what, folks? If it launches inside this country, our radar points north and east. And if it launches inside the wire, we don't have the ability to shoot it down. So no. understand what the trader class is doing here. Mm-hmm. And, and then also, too, you got to understand there's a lot of other things that have occurred, too, in terms of uh, Obama selling out our country's national security by giving away uh, you know, the, the Internet uh, domain name services uh, yeah. to Europe. Um, you know, basically, we had control over that. It was the United States that invented the uh, yep, ICANN uh, registration. Uh, the Ericsson. Ericsson with the, uh, the, the phone number portability. New star. It's unbelievable the level of just treason that are committed. Okay, let me jump in here a second because you guys know this thing backwards and forwards. So we're we're talking to an audience that you know we're trying to describe what happened. So I'm going to say, Nate, did any Republican, whether they were Rhino, conservative, independent, did any Republican look at this and say, "Oh my gosh, this is treason"? What was the reaction? so when I went to um, Devin Nunez, a senior staff member, and I gave him this stuff, they were actively investigating it. They gave me a code uh, or gave me a, a encrypted software to contact them. This is what I was told. I said, hey, do you want me to call you? Because he, he, what happened was I, I provided this information, but mostly what I turned over was intelligence reports. or Sorry, not intelligence, um, suspicious activity reports and uh, mostly financial in nature. But they... He asked me if I would go back in and look for an intelligence report that would indicate, uh, you know, to see if there was one that would indicate that what the FBI knew and when they knew it. So I reluctantly said yes. I went back in and I got that and brought it out. But he had given me a means of contacting them. And I had asked him, I said, you want me to call you? And he said, no. He said uh, he said that the uh, the the intelligence committee that they had reason to believe that they were being spied on by the FBI. Now think about that for a minute and the significance of it. This is yes. the committee that has oversight over the abuse of spy tools by our intelligence community. And yet they believed that they were being spied on. And it turns out they were right. 
Um, you had uh, Chuck Grassley released a document. I believe it's still up on the mm-hmm. um, on Senate uh, Judiciary website that shows that the FBI, or sorry, not FBI, that shows that the CIA was spying on the intelligence community to look for whistleblowers. So yeah. they, they've, they've been using these tools against the very government against the people who are supposed to keep this country secure and as we go into this commercial break understand this dennis montgomery turned it over turned over 47 hard drives to comey that showed all this information they had uh 60 million documents that placed one upon the other stood 30 miles high so they took that information and they they buried it while these people are dismantling our country. And that's what our fellow Americans need to understand. So as we go into this commercial break and we hear from our sponsors, these are the people who bring you the out loud truth instead of the cowards in the media, the traitors that support these people. So after these words from our sponsors, we'll be back in shortly. AmericaOutloud.com. If you can't find it here, you can't find it anywhere. We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought, working hard to earn your trust for seven incredible years and counting. America Out Loud Talk Radio, the liberty and justice for all. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Welcome back to the National Security Hour and the America Out Loud Talk Radio Network, where you will hear the voice of, re- of freedom, the voice of freedom, which, by the way, the courts just weighed in. They can no longer censor us. We had a big birthday gift on 4th of July. So once again, you will be hearing the out loud truth. I'm your, fo- your host, Mary Fanning, my co-host, the great Colonel Mike, and our guest, the White Knight, the man for the, for the times, Nate Kane. And after we speak about Robert Mueller, I would really like to hear about your race, Nate. But oh tell yes, us about- yes, Mary, let's get to it. Yeah, we let's well, do. Well, first, I want to hear Robert about Mueller. Robert Mueller. In what world does it make sense that this guy, the FBI director, is 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 delivering ma- these uranium samples to Moscow? How does this make sense? Do these guys think they're going to be oligarchs? You know, I'm sure there were people who were making lots and lots of money on the back end of this. We know about one of those deals, which was the speech that Bill Clinton gave uh, in Moscow, where he was paid, you know, millions of dollars. And of course, um, you know, that was by the parent company of Uranium One. So there was a lot of that kind of stuff going on. A lot of these guys, uh, they have, uh, you know, foundations, or maybe the foundations are under the names of their wives. I mean, this is how they hide this stuff. But uh, what I saw was over and over again, you know, just these multiple instances of corruption and money laundering through these charities. And the stuff is continuing to go on, clearly. I mean, that's what's going on with the Biden administration. 
why do we have all these policies that are happening now that are basically handing over, you know, more and more control of the Chinese? Well, it's no wonder. Look how much money the Biden administration has taken from China, you know, through yeah, uh, the dealings with his son, Hunter Biden. So this stuff is all going to come to a head. Um, but bottom line is, is to answer something that was asked or, uh, in the last segment. Um, you asked about, did anybody, you know, who was I talking to and did they do anything? Well, I talked to Devin Nunez and I did eventually get all of my information to him. It, it took almost a year to go through the formal process of whistleblowing through the, uh, through the DOJ IG. And uh, the DOJ IG actually went to extraordinary uh, measures to ensure that my information did make it into the hands of both the House and the Senate select committees on intelligence. However, by the time I got it through them, it was only maybe two or three months before the Democrats took over. And of course, nothing happened after that, except for me getting raided. Now, what was interesting was I talked to um, a few months ago, I went down to, to uh, Florida to the reawaken tour and, uh, and Devin Nunez happened to be there speaking. And by, you know, by divine appointment, I ended up up in the front row and got to get on the microphone and ask him a question. And uh, so on my, if you go to my Twitter uh, page, uh, pinned to the top of it, uh, or on the top of my uh, true social as well, um, you know, it's, uh, you'll find the interview where I asked him the question. Uh, I told him that I turned over the information. I was the, I was the one known as MC Pota. MC Pota was my code name. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I, I told him, I said, uh, I'm the one that handed over the information on Hillary Clinton and Uranium One. Whatever happened to that information? Uh, did you guys do anything about it? And, you know, is it still there? You know, if I get elected, uh, will I be able to do anything about it? And he answered what I already knew was going to be said, but it was important for me to, to get it on record. And he said it on record in front of the whole world that basically when Adam Schiff took over, that Adam Schiff buried those investigations he completely buried traitor hello yep did we lose I, anybody okay no i just said what a traitor he is yes he is so you know there is a um there all of the information that i turned over as far as i know is still in the skiff so, you know, oh, so I would wait, be curious is, is to this, find out. Is this the 30 pieces of silver crowd? Is this just accepting money to destroy this country? Are they that stupid? Or is this, be, what is this? I've right, begun, let him speak, Mary, let him speak. Go ahead. Well, I've, I've begun to think that when you look at what's going on with all this, like the, there's, here's the interesting parallel that I found. So the first thing that I saw was that you had all of these suspicious activity reports that were being reported that were looked into by, um, you know, by the banks. Okay. The banks mm -hmm. initiated their investigation on the basis, the basis of Peter Swisher's book, Clinton cash. Mm -hmm. They looked into it. They found there was truth to it. They sent it to treasury, treasury validated it, verified it, sent it up to the FBI through FinCEN. The FBI then sent their analysts to, you know, go to task of looking at all this. They found it to be highly credible. Now, what I overheard, which is what caused me to look into things to begin with, was this conversation that they had found with the seventh floor that they had. They were talking about this information on Hillary Clinton and words like treason were being thrown around. 
Uh, the statement was made, this is so big, it could bring down the government. Now, I always knew that this stuff with Hillary Clinton was a big deal, but I never saw it as big enough to bring down the entire government. It might damage the Democrat Party. It certainly might damage the Democrats' presidential bid at that, you know, during that election, but it was not enough to bring down the government. However, we now know that they had information on Biden money laundering at the same time. Now, I didn't look for that. And uh, and but they're apparently they had the same types of reports on that. What is significant about that? And, and I haven't seen those documents, so I can't say for certain. But Peter Schweitzer wrote a book on the Biden family, and it was called, I think, Empires or something like that. Then the other thing that Peter Schweitzer wrote a book on, which uh, which we haven't heard come out yet, was on Mitch McConnell and mm -hmm. his wife's family ties to China and the shipping company. So what if, so what if I'm just throwing this out there as just a, a, a what if. If I know that Peter Schweitzer's books get looked at because mm -hmm. he does darn good research and they get looked at by the banks for suspicious activity reports, what is the likelihood that the FBI had information on the vice president being involved in money laundering, on Hillary Clinton, the secretary of state being involved in money laundering, and possibly Mitch McConnell, the Republican uh, you know, head of the Senate? That would be big enough to bring down the government. So, okay, let me ask this question. What years are we talking about? Who was the president during the time you were whistleblower, Nate? Uh, Trump had just become the president. I began collecting my information while mm -hmm. Obama was still in office, but right. I did not start the whistleblower uh, program until Trump took office. Okay, so Trump was in power pretty much. Devin Nunes was probably in power at that time, correct? Devin Nunes was in power, yes. He was the right. chairman of the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. So my question is, why wasn't Trump more active with this? Knowing but, by, by now, by, I'm sure Nunes he had, had no, that He had no control, no insight whatsoever into the FBI and what they were doing. Remember, they had started their investigation into him before he even became president. Right. And then okay. they continued it with Operation um, uh, Crossfire Hurricane, not to mention as soon as they finished that, then what did they mm -hmm. do? Then they started the the Mueller probe. And so the whole thing was all about keeping Trump out of the FBI so he could not see what they had done. They were covering up their cover up. Right. And that's why they had to do the Russian collusion and everything. That's else. Right. That's right. Oh, and that was and just a distraction. So and that's, it's, why, that's why Robert Mueller was made the special prosecutor, because he they had to have people that were inside guys on this. Everybody involved in on were in on it. They all so Senate Majority you, Leader Mitch McConnell. He's linked to Hunter Biden's Chinese company, Bohai Harvest, mm -hmm. the Equity Investment Fund, BHR. That's via his wife's sister. Angela Chow was also in. in uh, appointed to the board of directors of the Bank of China. This is you where Hunter got a billion dollar deal. All family members. You always and, gotta look at the family members. And, yeah, and, so, th that, and that is the thing is that you, you look at, uh, who was it, um, Rod Rosenstein. I think his wife worked for a law firm that, law firm that represented uh, Hillary Clinton's, um, uh, her, uh, her uh, campaign. So, I mean, it's, yeah. it's just unbelievable the, the level of, of incestuous 
you know, uh, relationships between all of these people. I mean, it really is a spider web. And, and that's why I believe if there's ever going to be justice, it will never be done through the Department of Justice or the FBI. We need an Article One tribunal set up by the Congress to adjudicate these matters. And these people need to be brought up on charges. They need to be tried and if found guilty. They need to be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. We have to which make it takes us, which takes us to why you're running for Congress. A little bit more about who you're running against, their sure. background, their background, <laughs> and why you need to be there. Let them talk, Mary. Go ahead. So, so I, the reason I am running is not because I want to run. To be honest with you, this is dangerous. You know, if I just shut up and went about my life, I could have a very good, comfortable life living here in West Virginia. I, start, I started my own company. It's been rather successful. I uh, finally, you know, got my anonymity back and was happy being, you know, somebody that nobody remembered. Because remember, the last time when I blew the whistle, I had people trying to kill me. I had people trying to destroy my career. I had people trying to, you know, take me out through lawfare and trying to break, you know, break my, uh, you know, break me financially. Everything that you, you could imagine you know, was thrown at me. And thank God, and I do believe it was God that protected me. Uh, I made it through it. But I will tell you, um, the reason that I am running for office is simply out of obedience to God. I spent time praying and asking God to raise up righteous men and women to run for office. And during that time of prayer, and this was right around November, I felt the Lord tell me, what about you? And my initial response was, whoa, hold on a minute. I just started my own company. My family's been through hell. I don't want to put them through that again. You know, and I, I was making excuses, but I also know better than to say no to God. And so I made a deal. I said, God, look, I don't even see how this is even possible. I'd be going up against an incumbent who just won re-election with over 70% of the vote. And, you know, and, and I, so I said, but if you make a path, I'll run. I thought I bought myself, you know, six to eight years with that, but Apparently, God has a sense of humor. And two days later, I was typing in Alex Mooney's name into Google, and all of a sudden it pops up and it says, uh, it says Alex Mooney two seconds ago announces he's running for the U.S. Senate in 2020. So he's not going to run. You're going to run for Mooney. Now, who's running against you? So who's the Democrat? Shortly after I announced, uh, Al, uh, shortly after I announced, a guy by the name of Riley Moore, who is the treasurer of West Virginia. Now, prior to me running and looking into this, I had knew nothing about the guy. I honestly barely even knew he was our treasurer. Mm -hmm. And as far as I knew, he was a good guy. You know, he, he spoke out against ESG. He'd been on Glenn Beck speaking about ESG, all these things, right? Seems like a good conservative, you know, Correct. great picture of his wife and his kid and all this stuff. Well, of course, as I'm running, I need to know who my opponents are. I start looking into this guy. And what I found, I could not believe it. Like, honestly, you can't make this stuff up. The guy was the vice president from uh, 2013 or might have been 2012, 2013 to 2018. He was the vice president of the Podesta group. The oh same Podesta gosh. who John Podesta was Hillary Clinton's campaign chairman. The same Podesta's who Tony Podesta was in the Ukraine and mixed up with that whole thing with um, uh, with Manafort, where Manafort went to jail and Podesta, uh, you know, ends up walking away without going to jail. By the way, turns out Riley Moore 
was a registered foreign agent in guess where the Ukraine. Wow. Ukraine. He was there with Tony Podesta working deals and back channeling things to the Democrats on Capitol Hill. How did he he attain a job like that? Where did he come out of to get that job? He came out of the foreign affairs committee on Capitol Hill. And when he was there, he, for multiple years, he was a staffer to Democrats, to multiple very liberal Democrats on Capitol Hill uh, and is and part of the Foreign Affairs Committee. Um, interestingly enough, uh, he also was a foreign registered agent to Iraq. He was a foreign oh. registered agent <laughs> to Azerbaijan, to the Socialist Republic of Vietnam, uh, and uh, to Hong Kong. So, you know, this guy has been serving other, you know, he's been serving his own interests and making a lot of money serving the interests of other countries that are not necessarily our friends for a very long time. And now he wants to be on the other side of that gravy train because we all know a lobbyist is nothing more, you know, essentially, you know, than, than somebody that has uh, legally the right to bribe our, our congressman. I mean, that's what they're doing. You know, they're buying but votes. Nate, you're looking at a guy. I mean, he's not just serving his own interests. This is what James Angleton would have described as a spy. Right. Now, mind you, mind you, he wants to be on the other side of that gravy train now. He wants to be the guy who gets all the money from all the foreign uh, you know, registered agents. OK, he wants to be that guy. And that that is like the equivalent of, you know, a church electing a prostitute to come and be the marriage and family counselor at their church. I mean, that's how despicable this is, you know, how, how ridiculous this notion is. And yet he passes himself off as a Christian conservative because mm-hmm. he lives in West Virginia, you know, and so he's got to go out and say those things. And well, who's and he got the Democrat act- running, Nate, who's the Democrat? There is running? none. There is none. Do you know, you know, that's the thing. There is none. Here's the funny thing about it. He is. <laughs> I mean, he's running as a Republican and he ha- already has the buy off of the establishment Republicans. You know who endorsed him? Who's McCarthy. That? Wow. Mm. McCarthy, he got McCarthy's endorsement two weeks ago. And then just last week, he got Steve Scalise's endorsement. Mm-hmm. So, right. either these, so either these people don't know who they just endorsed or they're involved. Well, this there was an article about McCarthy up. just the other day. You know, with his wife's company or his wife working for a company and a Chinese guy, you know, big time Chinese guy in California helping the campaign. They're all they all smell. So you that, need help. Right. You, you well, need here, help. So wh- where here, are you? Here's, in the, this here's the thing. It, it gets even worse. OK, <laughs> so if that was not enough. All right. If that was not enough, you know, you want to find out about, you know, who these people really are. You start digging into things. You start looking into things and, you know, you find out that that uh that this guy he's also he was a a uh, a fellow at uh the center for new american security you know who the primary funder is of the center for new american security i'll just take a guess soros soros yes the open society foundation oh yes. my gosh that <laughs> is they are i think the nazis funder the nazis okay? that are here to dismantle us that's who the soros so, are so this is what soros does he grooms people for a very long time. They play the long game. They don't play the short game. No, they groom not. people for a long time. Yeah. They set them up. They get them in the right positions. You know who his aunt is? Shelly Morecapito. What did Shelly Morecapito? 
Yes. Look at look at her voting record over the last five years. Super rhino. She, she's a total rhino. She voted for the the inflation, uh, you know, uh, reduction act, which should be the inflation creation act. Uh, she voted for the you know the gay marriage thing that just came out. I mean, it's like everything that is opposite of what people in West Virginia stand for. She voted for. I mean, these well, Nate, we have one minute left. Okay, Nate, and Nate, wrap it up. You need let's help. wrap it up. But let me just say to our audience, you must get out and vote for Nate. Save your state. Save West Virginia. Otherwise, you're going into that long, dark night. Look, folks, I need help. The fact is, I am not the special interest candidate. I am a grassroots candidate. I have, I believe, what it takes to beat Riley Moore. But I'm going to need help. I need people to volunteer. I need people to donate to my campaign. The best place for them to do that is to go to my website at natecaneforwv.com. That's N-A-T-E-C-A-I-N, the number four, wv.com. There is a link in the upper right-hand corner where they can donate to my campaign there. That is going to be the best way that people can help me because at the end of the day, look, I don't need to make millions to beat this guy, but I do need to get, you know, at least three to four hundred thousand dollars because he's going to have millions because he's got guys like McCarthy behind him. So he's going to try to outspend me. He's not out there campaigning guys. Not at all. He's not out there visiting the people I am. And everywhere I go, when I meet the people overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly, they come out telling me that I've earned their vote and they're going to vote for me. But the problem is, is there's 700,000 people of voting age in West Virginia. Only half of them vote. And out of those half, only half of them vote in primaries. And out of those half, 80% of them uh, are over age 55. So I know those statistics, but how do I find those people? So the way I got to do is I got to get out there and talk in as many places as I can. Last month, I, uh, I went and I spoke in 18 different counties. This month, I'm lined up for about that same number. And, you know, we're out there. We put 16,000 miles on our car last month. So I need help. I need people who are going to step up who are going to get some skin in the game and are going to get in this fight with me because I'm not fighting for me. I don't want to be a career politician. I'm fighting for you. I'm fighting for this country. And it doesn't matter if you're from West Virginia or you're from some other place. The reality is if we don't fight to get the right people into office who are not going to be corrupted by this corrupt system, then we will lose this country. There's no doubt about it. Thank you so much. Please come back again. You need to check in with us. Our audience needs to support you. They need to get out there and work. The National Security Hour is the tip of the spear in the epic battle to defend the United States of America.